Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Well, good morning, and uh, what a privilege it is to be able to come and to open the word with you. Aaron, thank you for the introduction and for the worship team. Uh, thank you, Pastor Josh and the elders, uh, just for the opportunity. It's, it is my pleasure, for sure. Well, good morning to you at, here at Legacy City, and let me wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, this is the week, and it's pretty special to be a part of a country that actually sets aside one day a year to worship and give thanks. Now, I know that doesn't always happen, but it's there, and it's there for us to, to acknowledge. Thanksgiving goes way back in our country, really to the very founding before we were even thought of as a country. Back in the earliest account, it goes back to 1618, when some voyagers on the Marguerite ended up landing in Virginia. And as part of their charter for the trip itself, uh, it was that on the day of their landing, annually after that would be a day of worship and thanksgiving. And then two years later, the event that most of us are more familiar with, when the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth, Massachusetts, um, they kind of developed that whole idea of Thanksgiving as well. Their landing came late. They barely survived the winter. There was uh, very little food, very little shelter, a lot of sickness. Many of them died and perished. And except for the kindness of some um, Native Americans in the area who came along and brought food to them, helped them with shelter, showed them how to plant crops the next spring uh, in this new world, uh, they probably wouldn't have made it. But they did that, and there was a bountiful harvest that coming fall. And so the group came together, the Native Americans and these pilgrims, and they celebrated, and they worshiped, and they prayed. After that, the first president of the United States, George Washington, was the first person uh, president to kind of acknowledge the need for a national day of prayer. Abraham Lincoln took up that banner, and he wrote these words when he instituted Thanksgiving as a national, legitimized as a national day of prayer. He says, in celebration of the bounties that have continued to fall upon the Union and for the military successes in war, also calling on the American people with humble, with humble penance for our national perseverance, fervently implore an imposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of our land. Not a bad statement even for today, is it? To come and to acknowledge God as the almighty and to thank him for his hand at work in us as a people and as a country and to bring healing to our land. So I pray this week that you would set aside just a little bit of time to thank him for his goodness towards each and every one of us. It might even be this afternoon. This week gets busy, I know. It gets busy for all of us. But take a moment to thank him and to thank him for the fact that we live in a country that still acknowledges the need to worship. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we can gather here this morning to worship you as the one true God, to acknowledge your mercy, your grace and faithfulness, and to rejoice in the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. 
and the newness of life to which we are called. Thank you for this week of national thanksgiving. We thank you for your goodness to us as a people. But we also pray that you would heal our land. That your spirit would do a work through us, your church, through this church's legacy city. Respectfully and with caring, pointing people to Jesus. And may we always be mindful of opportunities to be grateful. And now this morning as we open your word, what an incredible privilege. Speak to us with clarity and boldness. Help us to understand, to see, and experience the, the depths of your love for us. Change us. Empower us by the abiding presence of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I've titled this morning's sermon, The Gift of Relationship. And as I've contemplated Thanksgiving, relationships would be, have to be one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us, especially our relationship with him. Now, usually on Sunday morning, Pastor Josh comes up here and he will work through a section of scripture verse by verse. We're currently in the book of Matthew. And that's called expository preaching. It's probably one of the best ways to get a grasp of what Scripture is really saying and understanding a book and what a writer is trying to convey. The last time I was with you, we did an autograph, autobiographical study. If you'll remember, we looked at the life of Mephibosheth. I got it out one more time. <laughs> he was the last surviving member of King Saul's family and King David, the new king on the throne, sought him out, you'll remember the story, to show kindness to him. It was an autobiographical study. Well, this morning we're going to do something a little different yet again. We're going to do a topical study. And when you do a topical study in scripture, you, you look up all the verses that relate to a specific topic. You could look at uh, Jesus' view on prayer, and you could look at all those verses and kind of formulate what did Jesus say about prayer? You could look at, it'd be a very broad topic, but the whole issue of forgiveness. It's a topic. You look at all the hundreds and hundreds of verses that relate to forgiveness and develop somewhat of a theology of forgiveness. You could look at, say, the end times. And you could look at what scripture says and prophesies and tells about the, the end times as they approach. But this morning, we're going to look at this whole idea of relationship. And hopefully, it'll be an insightful study, looking at a number of different passages addressing the topic. So I've had my two mugs of coffee this morning. I hope you've had a couple. You're going to need it, okay? So uh, grab your phones or open the Bibles, and we're going to cruise along rather quickly. We won't look at all the verses. Some of you are going, whew, thank goodness. Uh, but we'll look at the key ones, okay? And grasp a better understanding as we move forward here. So the first point I want to make is relationship is intrinsic to the Godhead itself. Have you ever thought about that? Look at Genesis 1.26. I mean, the very opening pages of Scripture, we have this idea of relationship. Relationship is intrinsic within the Godhead itself. Verse 26 reads, Then God said, Let us. Oh, let us. 
Make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And there are some creepy things out there. And God created in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Look back, verse 26. Let us. There's a conversation. There's a discussion. There is a relationship within the Godhead itself. Isn't that miraculous? We're given this glimpse into the triune God, three persons, yet one God. And there's relationship. There is community there. It's mind-blowing. But the key is relationships are intrinsic to the Godhead itself, our Creator. The second point we see is also in that set of verses in verse 27, God's unyielding desire to be with man. I mean, the God of the universe, the one who created all things. I mean, have you noticed these new photos coming from the new telescope they've launched into space? Phenomenal. We don't even look as a speck of dust in all that is out there. I told Marlene, I said, I almost think, because they're publishing these pictures over and over, if you get on Facebook or Twitter, you, you see these pictures, I almost think it's as if God is using them as a witness to himself. But the God of the universe desires, with all the majesty that is out there, to be with you, to be with me. God created man in his own image. Now, we don't have time to fully unpack all that that means, but a few things that it does mean. <clears throat> he made us spiritual beings. When we think about each other, because we see each other, we think about the physical. But biblically speaking, we are spiritual beings first. Physical beings further down. It is our spirit that is made alive in Christ. He created us with intellect and reason and creativity. He created us with a need for relationship, primarily with him. Blaine Pascoe, I kind of stumbled upon this gentleman. I want to read more about him. He seems uh, incredibly intriguing. He was a French mathematician, philosopher, and theologian. He knew what he was doing. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing. We try, don't we? We try to substitute earthly relationships, which are not bad, and kind of grow out of our relationship with God. We try with fame. We try with money. We try with possessions. But as Pascal wrote in the 1600s, it cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only the creator made known through Jesus Christ. 
There's a heartfelt vacuum in every single human being around us. And all their searching and all their looking will ultimately only be found in that relationship with God himself, their creator. We were created for relationship with him. Turn over a few pages, Genesis 3, 6. Adam and Eve and God together, we see this begin to play out. <clears throat> Excuse me. They walked in the garden together, a stroll in the evening together, Adam and Eve and this creator God. They ruled over creation together. Genesis 3, beginning with verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Verse eight. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, they hid themselves in the presence of God among the trees in the garden. And then the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your sound, the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. A tragic passage, the, the rest of history is God undoing what man messed up here at the fall. But you see here that the routine, the, the normal activities was for God and man to be together in communion and relationship, walking in the coolness of the evening, talking about creation, exploring the knowledges of the world, and then came the fall. And that perfect relationship was lost. But the point is we're created for relationship. We're created for relationship. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Minnesota. We were actually on our way to church and uh, our grandson Reese was in the car. And I don't know how we got on the topic. I cannot remember how it led into it, but the whole idea of aging came up. Maybe he saw some gray hair, I don't know. And um, Reese says, Yaya, that's what he calls his grandmother. I don't want you to grow older. Well, I kind of knew where this was going already, but I just had to ask to see how a four-year-old thinks. I said, why do you not want Yaya to grow older? And he thought for a minute, and he said, well, we all know what happens when you get older. I said, well, Reese, what does happen? He says, well, up you go. <laughs> and then he said very thoughtfully, Yaya, I don't want you to go up. I want you to stay here with me. You see, even at the age of four, there's this yearning for relationship and belonging. We are created for relationship with God himself. So there's a third point 
we're going to clip along rather quickly here. God's unyielding desire to be with man is revealed in the Old Testament. Now, quite frankly, you can look just about any Old Testament personality, and you will, you will find a request for God's presence and a promise by God to be with them. We're just going to look at a couple. Moses in Exodus 33:14, if you'll turn there. Exodus 33:14. Now therefore I pray to you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you. Now in scripture, when you see the word know, it's not like, oh yeah, I met Jack last week, I know him. No, know in scripture speaks of intimacy. It speaks of really knowing someone, a very close friend, uh, a family member, a wife, a husband, a boy. It's someone that you really know. That's what Moses is saying here. They're, they're getting ready to, to leave Sinai and head into the promised land. And Moses is praying. He's basically saying, God... We're going to do this, and I'll lead these people, but I'm not going up there unless I know you are with us. So I pray that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he, God, said, my, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. The importance of presence and relationship. Moses knew it and he wasn't, he wasn't going to move forward unless he knew God was with them. Well, a number of years later, Moses has passed away and Joshua has taken up the mantle of leading the people. And one of the first things he does in Joshua chapter 1, if you want to turn over there, just a few books over, is he comes before the Lord. And God speaks to him in verse 9, and says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and be courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed as you enter this land. For the Lord your God is what? With you wherever you go. A beautiful promise. If you turned over to, we're going to cross a lot of history now, but to Zephaniah chapter 3, almost to the very end of your Old Testament, I think it's the fourth to the last book, Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17, God is speaking to the nation of Israel as a whole here. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. The Lord your God, he's in your midst. You'll also remember that God gave to the Jewish people in the Old Testament a, a series of, of, of remembrances of him and his presence with them. One of the greatest gifts he gave them was the law. It covered just about every aspect of their lives, the social, the moral, the, the religious aspects of their life, and it all spoke and pointed to God himself and his righteousness. There was the tabernacle, the, the place that, that God dwelt among the people. 
The Ark of the Covenant, the, the very place where God met the people. He provided manna and quail for them to eat while they were in the wilderness. They had to look to him as their provider. He led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He provided the prophets and the judges throughout the Old Testament, all reminding of the people of God's presence with them. John Ortenberg, in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, writes these words. The central, the central promise of the Bible is not, I will forgive you, although, of course, that promise is there. It is not the promise of life after death, although we are offered that as well. The most frequent, frequent promise in the Bible is, I will be with you. It's amazing, isn't it? It begins to put our relationship with God into perspective. God's desire to be in relationship with us. Dallas Willard, he's a, I believe he's passed at this point, a Christian thinker, an educator. He actually taught for years here in LA County at USC. And his mother died when he was very young, about the age of two. And he tells the story of a young boy whose mother had passed away. And of course, on those nights, he said it was particularly difficult at night, he would be lonely and probably a little scared. And he would get up and he would go into his father's room and he would crawl up into the bed and he would say, Dad, can I, can I sleep with you tonight? And Dad, Dad would say, well, of course, come on up and you can rest. He would lay there in the darkness with his dad beside him, but he did not rest until he knew that his father was with him, but also that his father's face was turned towards him. Daddy, now remember it's dark. Daddy, is your face turned towards me now? And his father would say, yes, you are not alone. I am with you. You're not alone. When at last he was assured of this, he was able to rest. And that's the way it is with us, isn't it? That we were designed for a relationship with God, to, to know that God's face is towards us. Now there's an important a caveat as you look at the Old Testament. It's very different than the life that you and I live as we will see in the, under the New Covenant. That although God desired to be with his people throughout the pages of the Old Testament, his presence with people was conditional. Conditional based on the faithfulness of these individuals. If individuals like David or the nation followed God's law, walked in his ways, God's presence would abide with them. However, if they strayed and worshipped other or lesser gods or no God at all, his presence would ultimately be withdrawn. An example of this, one that you're familiar with, you don't necessarily have to turn there, it would be with David. Psalm 23, 4. You know Psalm 23. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, David said. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
If you turn over a few chapters in the Psalms to Psalm 51, David has been confronted with his sins relating to Bathsheba. And listen to David's prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I've sinned against you, basically. But cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, in the Old Testament, there was this worry, this concern that, that yes, God's Spirit's with me, but if I am not faithful to him, then that presence will leave. We don't have that problem under the New Testament, or New Covenant, as we will see. So let's keep moving a little further. Point number four, God's unyielding desire to be with man through Jesus himself. So flip over to the first book of your New Testament, Matthew 1, 23. Beautiful verse as we look and begin to go into the Advent season here in a couple weeks. Remember, Joseph is a little... Uh, probably scared out of his sandals. Uh, things are not going as planned. Um, the wife he's betrothed to has come up pregnant, and there's all kinds of shame, and it's just, what am I supposed to do? And God sends an angel. He sends an angel to Joseph. Behold the virgin, God reiterates she's still a virgin, shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. For 400 years in the last book of the Old Testament, up to this point, the people had not heard anything from God. Not a word, not a dream, not a vision, not a prophet, nothing. And then all of a sudden, there's this incredible promise that this one who has been born is going to be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you turn over to John chapter 1, John basically is proclaiming the same truth when he says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. That's kind of a strange way to pronounce this, but he's working with Greek philosophy. He's trying to reach people at that time. But what is a word? A word is simply, it gives, it gives meaning to a thought or a concept. And that's what he's saying here. In the beginning, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He's speaking of Jesus himself. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life has the light of has was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it jesus became human flesh to be with man this would have been my we know this we're familiar with this but to the early jewish readers this would have been mind-blowing at best, they, they, they approached God at the temple where his presence dwelt. But here, all of a sudden, is God with man, walking among man. It would immediately taking them back to the way it was in the garden. It was a phenomenal thought. But God had in mind even more. 
something far greater as he sought out to restore his relationship with man. Romans 5.10, a few more uh, pages over. Many of you know the verse. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son. So you can't separate the birth from the death. That's the, they, they go together. It's a beautiful little scene of the baby born in the manger, but the baby came for a reason, for a purpose. And it was the death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Sky Jathani, he was a... He is a writer and speaker. He was the managing editor of Christianity Today for a number of years. In his book, uh, With, Reimagining the Way We Relate to God, he writes this. It is not only when we grasp God's unyielding desire to be with us that we begin to understand the ultimate purpose of the cross. It is more than a vehicle to rescue us from death. It transports us into the very arms of life. Life with God is made possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He has removed the barrier of sin and death that separates us from God. We have been united with him through Christ. Isn't that good? The birth is great. But the birth was only a necessary step to get to the cross and to the resurrection, which removes the sin and brings you and I into new life today, not in the future, but to God who loves us. By chance, have, and I think they're going to slip the picture up there at this point. Have any of you been to the Vatican and seen the Sistine Chapel? Yeah. Wow, several. Okay, we're kind of planning a trip, hopefully, as a family here in the next couple years. And this is one of the things I would like to see. I, I hear the line is quite extraordinary to get in, but it's worth the wait. Michelangelo was known as a sculpturer, and yet Pope Julius II uh, in 1508 commissioned him to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Now, it's not a huge space, but it's plenty big. And it, the, kind of the focal point is this picture here, and most of you have seen this at some time, or at least the two hands about to touch. But I want you just to look at the photo for a moment. What do you see? Well, a couple things to point out there is God himself being carried by the swiftness and the power of the angels through the, through the sky, through the ages, towards man. God's face is directed towards man. His, his eyes are focused on him. His arm is outstretched. His finger is reaching forward. Every muscle in the arm and the hand is tense as he's reaching out to redeem man. It's as, if, it's as if Michelangelo is, 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 is wanting to convey God's unyielding determination, his unyielding desire to reach out and to be with us. See, you and I, we are created for relationship with God himself. 
And then the really wonderful news, which kind of relates to the photo behind me. God's unyielding desire to be with man through his Holy Spirit. This is what makes the new covenant so special and so wonderful, so different than any time throughout history. As you and as believers, you and I have responded to God's work on our behalf through faith. We have been reconciled. We have been brought back into relationship with God. We are on friendly terms. We have been united with Christ. We, we are called to abide with Christ. All these words that you're familiar in the New Testament, they speak of relationship and closeness and tightness because that's what Christ has secured for us. John 14, Jesus' final words with his disciples before facing the cross. You can turn there, John 14, 7. Incredibly touching passage of scripture, these couple chapters here. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now again, Consider yourself to be one of the disciples sitting there hearing this. You just got here. You are God with us. Why would you leave? Why would you leave? Don't leave us. And he says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He says, I must go that the helper, the Holy Spirit might come and unite with your spirit so that we are together always. In Romans eight sixteen, and there are so many verses we could look at. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. <laughs> You're part of the family now. You're part of the family now. The very spirit of God now lives not only with us, but in us, uniting with our spirit. So intimate is this relationship that the Apostle Paul uses the most intimate of relationships here on earth, the marriage covenant, to speak of our, our marriage with Christ. We are his and he is ours. And nothing can change that fact. Do we still sin? Absolutely. But that does not affect the relationship that we have with him. We are secure. We are created for relationship and God has done a work which is totally dependent upon him, not me, thank goodness. We are in relationship with him. Now in our remaining moments, you've been very patient. I realize we all live very fragmented lives. There is so much pulling at us on any given day and in any given week. It is hard to carve out 
time for those things that we even deem as important. And while we have this relationship with God right here in our hand, we need to nurture it. We need to take care of it. We need to, to love it. I laugh at work. I told you I do some part-time work at Home Depot and people bring these plants in they brought three weeks ago and they want a refund on them. And it's obvious they haven't watered the poor thing in, in three weeks and it's 100 degrees outside and they're like, I don't know what happened to it. Well, I can tell you what happened to it. You stuck it on the patio and you forgot about it. We have this relationship and it needs to be nurtured. If you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, or a wife. Those are all great relationships that we can be called to, but they have to be nurtured. They don't just happen, do they? You can be married 30 or 40 years, and you talk to those couples, and they nurture what they have. They value it, and it takes work, and it takes time. But oh, is it worth it? So worth it. So I want to take this few remaining moments to just talk about some ways that you can nurture this relationship you have with God here this morning. To grow to understand more fully this new life that he has called you to, this, this unity of spirits that we have. I'm not calling you to a cross fitness program. That's the last thing I want you to think. This isn't getting up four in the morning, starting tomorrow morning, and, and reading the Bible for two hours or praying for an hour and a half. I've known people that do that. I'm not one of them. Not at four in the morning, no sir. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't want you to hear it that way. I want you to look for ways and things that you're already doing and how you can incorporate this relationship with that. Okay? Enjoy his presence. Enjoy his presence. And when you're with him this way, find rest, contentment, peace. And boy, would that not be nice, right? First one, time in God's word. Pastor Josh speaks to this often. We have to feed on the word. If it's only 15 minutes a day, it could be in the morning, it could be on your lunch break, it could be in the evening after the kid's in bed. At some point in the day, pick up the word. It could be just a verse, it could be a paragraph. Just read it and let it speak to you. This is the primary way in which God speaks to us. And we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of how much he loves us of the fact that we are fully forgiven, past, present, and future. That we have been fully accepted by him, loved by him. That we are totally secure in him. We need to hear these truths. We need to see them. God wants to remind us of them, especially after a difficult day. And you've been unfairly criticized for something and your soul is just crushed or a, a teammate at work takes credit for something you did and all you want to do is lash out. You need to be reminded of these basic truths. Just 10 or 15 minutes a day to cultivate the relationship. Another thing you might consider is just reading a few books on cultivating that relationship and how you might do it. 
I brought a couple just that I have used and found useful. You can jot them down if you want to, um, but useful writings. One is from Brother Lawrence. He was actually a monk in the 1600s. You'll want to get the English translation uh, because it's kind of hard to read the original. But uh, most of his life was spent, no joke, peeling potatoes in the monastery. But yet his thoughts and his writings regarding the presence of God, the relationship with God, and the everyday and the mundane things of life is a classic. It's a little, little, little guy, but awesome coming just from a, a monk peeling potatoes. Another one I mentioned earlier was John Ortenberg's God is Closer Than You Think. I don't, it's on my tablet, I don't have the hard copy, but a, another beautiful book John Ortenberg has given his life to, to speaking on this idea of our relationship with God and what that looks like and how we can nurture it even further. Then one which was particularly meaning to myself a number of years back now, um, I won't go in, that's a story for another time, but it's Sky Jathani's With, Reimagining the Way You Relate to God. Again, not very big. Be an awesome little read as you go through Advent. But this little book, apart from the Bible, revolutionized my spiritual life and continues to do so today. Um, so maybe... Pick up something and read it. It relates to nurturing this relationship that we have in him. Another point, develop quiet moments to slow down and to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Now, for years, I came out of a very traditional seminary and it was kind of beat into our heads that God only speaks through the word. And that's true. He does, excuse me, speak through the word. But if God's spirit is united with my spirit, there is a quiet voice inside. God is communicating and I need to listen. I need to hear. And I always run it through the grid of Scripture. If it's something against Scripture, then I'm hearing something else. It may have been the pizza last night. But, but it always needs to fit. But if we just make the spirit thing a cold shelf book matter, there's, never, there's no life to that. It's like being married and just kind of waving the marriage certificate at each other as you walk down the hallway. That isn't life. That's not real. That's not communication. That's not intimacy. There's something to be said about the Spirit of God within us, leading, guiding, testifying. Make time to listen. Pastor Josh finds that out on the ways. We know that, don't we? Others find that quiet place in their home. Some find it hiking in the mountains, others on a walk, or even taking a shower. My mom would pray in the car. It was the only quiet place she could find for my brother and myself. Marlene's grandmother, who was an incredible cook, just to watch her navigate the kitchen, she would pray while she cooked. It fit her perfectly. For some of you, it's journaling. Now, I've tried my hand at journaling. I'm even trying again now. Um, it's, I'll, I'll open up. Oh, it's been eight months since I put an entry. I guess I need to do something here. Uh, some of you journal beautifully, and, and keep it up. 
listen to God, record it, see how he's working. Some of you, it's like, nope, not going to do that. Let me, maybe you could answer one question each day at the end of the day. I found it helpful. Today I experienced God in. Today I experienced God in. It makes you think. It makes you slow down. Some days it makes you really think because life has been tough. And it's been hard to see God. But I know he's there. Today I experience God in. It could be in the face of Reese, just the joy and the excitement of something he was involved in and thinking, that's the way God looks at me. Thank you, Lord. It could be walking through the plant department at Home Depot and they've gotten in a bunch of new plants and they're just vibrant color everywhere. And it's, Lord, thank you for your creativity, for your beauty. We're created for relationship with God himself. Number four, set up little reminders. Little reminders throughout your day to draw your attention back to your, that relationship with him. I have counted there are exactly 12 red lights between our home and work. I usually catch all 12 of them. So I've had to find a way to be thankful rather than pressured that I'm going to be late. So I've decided every time I get stopped at a red light, which is 12 times I've noticed, I'm going to name something to be thankful for. First six aren't too bad, but the last six, I'm in a hurry and it's getting harder. But it's simple, it's silly, but it works. It draws my attention back towards him. Post a verse somewhere where you can see it. Some of you still come up and say, that little verse card you handed out several months ago, I had that on my bathroom mirror. And I still look at it. Something as simple as that, on the fridge, on, in the bathroom, somewhere where you see it and are reminded. Simply keeping your Bible out, where it's useful, for it, where it's handy. Put it near your favorite chair in the house where you sit when you're seated um, and spend most of your time. So it's easy to pick up and just maybe read for 10 or 15 minutes. A 10-minute pause. I discovered an app for this. It's called the One Minute Pause. You can download it. It's on all phones, or available to all phones. And it allows you to choose a one, five, or 10, 10, 15 minute pause. And you can set it to remind you once a day or twice a day or three times a day. And it's just a little ding. And then it takes you through a little exercise of focusing on God and his relationship with you. I found it useful, a one minute pause. So let's pull all this together. Throughout history, God has been pursuing a relationship with mankind. He created us for relationship. He redeemed us for relationship. And now he has placed his spirit inside of us, united with our spirit. God has made us for himself. Our hearts can never know true rest and perfect satisfaction until we know him. He is calling us to come to him in faith and to nurture our relationship with him. I want to close with one more verse from the very last book, one of the last chapters of the last book of scripture. 
So I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads for a moment. I told you this was a theme which carried throughout Scripture. We saw it in Genesis 1, and we're going to close with Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Father, this morning we've taken a quick, brief look at your word as it speaks to us. To unearth a little bit of your heart for us. Father, I hope that there's an understanding here that, that you yearn more than anything else to be, to be in relationship with us here this morning. It doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter what's been told us or said to us. You love us fully. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to, yes, be born, but also to die that we might have a relationship with you to, to solve the sin problem and to be resurrected to new life, which you now want to share with us, with us. Lord, help us to understand how badly you want to be with us, to do life with us. Don't let us put it on a shelf for something in the future in heaven or whatever. It's today. You saved us for today. Your presence with us is today. May we cherish that. May we nurture that. May we grow in that. May we find life. May we find peace. For it's in your magnificent and glorious name we pray. Amen.